Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I want to share with you guys our favorite toothpaste that the entire family uses. It's called Risewell, and Risewell is a fluoride-free toothpaste that has all non-toxic, safe ingredients, so it's even safe if swallowed, which makes it perfect for young children. I love Risewell because... Unlike some of the other natural and non-toxic toothpastes on the market, Risewell contains an ingredient called hydroxyapatite, which is a naturally occurring mineral that actually has been scientifically proven to strengthen and protect our teeth without the use of fluoride. You can save 10% now with the code KULIK10 when you go to risewell.com. And again, that code is KULIK, K-U-L-I-K-10. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of having Dr. Tracy Dalgleish join us to talk about relationship challenges that a lot of new parents face. Dr. Tracy Dalgleish helps empower women and couples to improve their communication and to build strong and healthy connections with themselves and their relationships through therapy, wellness seminars, and her work outside of the therapy room. Dr. Tracy contributes to popular media sites, including Motherly, Huffington Post, and Bustle. In addition to hosting the podcast, I'm Not Your Shrink, where she dives deeper into clinical knowledge and research in a relatable and informal way, Dr. Tracy has an online community, Be Connected, that helps women learn the key skills and tools she teaches her clients in her office every single day. A mom of two young children and owner of Ottawa's mental health clinic, Integrated Wellness, she knows what it means to balance the full load. Hi, Dr. Tracy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me here. It's such a privilege to be able to sit with you and also to everybody who's listening in today. Of course, you know, you have, I've been following you on Instagram probably since I started my Instagram account. I feel like you were one of the first people I started following and you've just been such a a wealth of information and I've enjoyed learning from you over the past few years. So I would love to pick your brain about relationships, specifically common relationship challenges that parents have after becoming new parents. Could you, well, first of all, could you maybe just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work and how you got started? Absolutely. So I am a psychologist and couples therapist and I, how did I get started? Well, in terms of the space that I'm in right now of being on Instagram and having my online programs, I was nursing my second. So I have a son and a daughter and I was nursing my second and it was the depths of the winter here in Ottawa, Ontario. And I felt really dissatisfied by the quality of information that was out there for parents. And I thought, gosh, you know, so many people are struggling in their relationships. They don't feel like 
their support. They feel like there's something wrong with them. And so I really thought I want to be able to make what I do every single day in my office more accessible for people, especially for mothers, because I know that this time is so challenging after you have given birth. Um, and as you're adjusting to this new part of you, this new world, the new relationship that you have. Um, and so what felt really important for me was being able to make what I do every day accessible. And because of the timing that oftentimes mothers will say to me, my partner doesn't want to come to therapy or we don't have time or the finances are difficult. So this is why I created Dr. Tracy D on Instagram. Um, it's also why I created these online resources so that people can learn at the comfort of their own home. And what I do essentially is I help empower women and couples to improve their communication and build strong and healthy connections with themselves. And ultimately this is what we're all looking to do is to build meaning within ourselves. I love that. And I love how you want to make this accessible because I think that is a huge challenge as a new parent with a lot of times with a very young baby, um, but with kids in general, it's hard mm -hmm. to find the time to get to therapy. Um, and I also think we need to make going to couples therapy and therapy in general, um, not taboo to talk about, you know, me and my husband and I went to couples therapy when my daughter was my first child was probably like six months old, but that was the biggest challenge we had was not only finances, but specifically, what do we do with our child while we go to therapy? Yes. We now have to pay right. for a babysitter and go pay a therapist and on it just top of therapy. So expensive. Yeah. Um, I've had several people take their children, their babies with them to our sessions. And what we do around that is early on, if that's what you have to do, then we make that work, right? If you need yeah. to nurse, feed your baby, rock your baby. I can remember one mom was like doing a good swinging with her baby and that that's fine. Um, what I do tend to say is later on, as our babies get older, because they can feel our emotions, we don't want them taking on our emotions in therapy. So that, that really is something that's important. And I, I think you're bringing up something right off the bat that we have to address Taylor. And that is that most people don't do some kind of prevention work or uh, therapy or a book around their relationship before this big life change. Having a baby is a massive change for yourself and also for your relationship. And most couples will say to me, we didn't do anything to prepare our relationship. We prepared the nursery, we prepared our birth plan, but nothing could have prepared them for their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So, so important to talk about that. What would you say are some of the most common challenges, relationship challenges that you see couples experiencing after becoming parents? Yeah. So some of those common challenges, I would say around adjusting to the new role. So adjusting to what it means to be a mother now and not just around being two partners and spending all of our time together, um, but adjusting to what also our new relationship looks like, what, which means that, you know, how we connect is no longer the same way that we did before. So we have to find new ways to do that. So a common struggle in that postpartum period. And when I say postpartum, I mean, we're talking one plus years. We're not talking six right. weeks, but we're talking one plus years, which is intimacy. Intimacy is one of the biggest challenges that women uh, and couples are navigating in the postpartum period. Um, I would say the other piece around there is around communicating our feelings and needs. So again, if we think about everything about our relationship before having a baby still exists after having a baby. And oftentimes the patterns and the cycles that we get into are amplified because we didn't prepare for them. We didn't understand them beforehand. So I find that those negative communication patterns start to be amplified in the postpartum period because we weren't prepared for it. 
things like the mental load and the distribution of the mm-hmm. emotional labor, the household labor, the childcare labor um, is a huge piece. And then also navigating mental health and what it means if one partner is struggling with depression. So we know that moms and dads in the heterosexual relationship will struggle with depression, postpartum depression, um, and also postpartum anxiety. And that will be part of some of the challenges that couples will experience in their relationship. Absolutely. What would you say, if anything, is there anything that couples can do prior to having a baby? I know a lot of the listeners probably already have children, but I know that there are some listeners who maybe don't have children yet, or maybe are expecting what things can they do now to kind of prepare for some of those challenges and maybe make it a smoother road after having baby. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say if you are on your way to having another child, this is also a great time to take Mm -hmm. stock and take inventory, right? Um, Before even answering that question, I want to encourage you who are listening to think of your relationship as one of the most important businesses that you're running and that you need to be a good team. And to be a good team, it means we need to have frequent check-ins. We need to see what the other person is doing. We need to be giving permission to each other to make mistakes and self-correct, course correct, those kinds of things. So for, for you listening who maybe don't have a baby yet, or you're moving into another child joining your family, step back a little bit and ask each other, what roles did you watch your parents and caregivers play growing up? What roles did you hope to play growing up? And is that what's happening here? Or maybe what roles you didn't want to play? So, you know, I I often think about what did we learn watching our own mothers? Did you see your mom sit down? And if not, what did that teach you about being a mother? Did you, do you ever let yourself sit down? Um, What did you learn about relationships growing up and how, how you can support each other? So I think really kind of going into this talking about, Our roles, talking about our expectations and our hopes could be really important. The other question I like to encourage people to consider is around support. When you are struggling, what will that look like? Everybody, everybody looks different when they're going into a space of struggling. Everyone copes differently. So someone might shut down and go really internally. So they might say to their partner, when I go inside myself and I'm not sharing a lot with you, that's a flag and I need you to help me then. Or if you notice that I'm more irritable and angry, then that's a flag that I'm not doing my best. And sometimes the best thing we can do as partners is to come and approach the person with kindness and compassion and say, Hey, I'm noticing that things seem a little bit harder for you lately. What can I do? And then together before baby arrives, agreeing, how can we support each other? What is it that would help you? I can remember, goodness, this was, was it like day five, day 10? It was somewhere early in the first two weeks that my first, my son just did not sleep. And it was a really tough day. And my husband said, you know what? I know you're trying to do the pumping and the breastfeeding and you're waking up in the middle of the night to do both tonight. Just go sleep, just sleep through the whole night. And we kind of joked because he like swaddled me in, (laughs) you know, but he let me sleep through the night, which was something Mm. that I couldn't identify that I needed. And I needed him to step in and say, I see how much you're struggling right now. Let me take over on this and we'll do that and I'll do it for you. And he did. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, you know, as you were talking, I, I was kind of thinking about, 
you know, I talk a lot about respectful parenting. I strive to be respectful, a respectful parent to my children. Mm -hmm. And I fail every single day. Um, but I'm always trying to come at them from a place of compassion and hoping to understand them better. And when I get into arguments with my husband, not in the moment, but later I think on it and, and what you were saying, I think about how, you know, if only adults who, especially like the respectful parenting adults could see each other in the same way, because we're also struggling, just like our kids are struggling. We have our own issues that we have to work through. We don't Mm -hmm. always have the best communication skills if we're in fight or flight mode or stressed or anything like that. And what if I could see my husband and see that he is saying these things to me and I know he doesn't mean them. I know that he has a feeling going on underneath. He has a, he has a struggle, but it's very, it's so much harder for me to consider that and reflect on that with an adult than it is to treat a child respectfully like that and come, you know, Uh it's just, isn't that so interesting? Can can I put you on the spot, Taylor, and ask you, why do you think that is for you? Why is it harder to view your partner in that view? And I know that your answer, so many people will be able to relate to. You know, that's a really good question. And I think it's because I have very high expectations because honestly, my daughter, my oldest child is four and a half now, and it's getting harder and harder for me to also approach her with compassion because she's so smart and she has, she speaks in full sentences. And so I think that there's this disconnect between like, I don't in the moment, I just get triggered because now, okay, now my four-year-old is reminding me of maybe my mother when I was a kid, she was right. yelling at me. And now here's my four-year-old she's yelling poking at me. your triggers. Yes. She's yelling at me in complete sentences. My husband's yelling at me in complete sentences. So yeah, they're poking my triggers. Whereas like my 18 month old, you know, he can just like hit me and laugh and like, it annoys me, but I'm not angry about it because I get right. that, that he is so yeah. immature. I don't know if that's, if that makes sense or not. I think, I think that totally makes sense. And one of the things that I noticed is that, and I fell into this too, is that this idea that why is it easier to parent and manage a household when you know that your partner is going to be gone for two days, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of when they are around, there's this expectation piece. When we hold our other people to expectations, we, we struggle when they're not met. Yeah. And so when that comes up with partners, and actually this is something that we talked about in my program recently, was around viewing our partners with the same compassion we would with their children and being able to see that underneath this outer part, right? I think of my daughter. So my daughter is four as well. She's fierce and lovely. Mm-hmm. And so kind of in so many ways, but, but yeah, those words sting. And so I often try to draw up that younger image of her, of this really vulnerable part that is still in there. And same thing with our partners, that there is this vulnerable little boy or girl deep down inside that has the same needs as our 18 month old, as our younger children, they still need to be, you know, if we break it down to the basics, they need to be Uh, They need to feel safe. So safety, physical and emotional safety. They need to feel secure, like they're worthy. They're not going to be rejected. They need to be seen. So seen being that they're understood and that when they're saying, I don't want this, you can say, yeah, oh yeah, you don't want this. I get this, right? This is not what you want right now. Or, you know, if your partner is saying like, I'm so angry that this happened, you can say, yeah, I see you're so angry at this. And then that last one, this is the four S's. Dan Siegel talks about this in terms of attachment and parenting, and it applies to our romantic relationships. The last, so safety, secure, seen, and soothed. Mm. How powerful it is to, instead of using more words to argue with our partners and to try to be right, that we can just go over to them and give them a hug or hold their hands 
and be close to them physically and to soothe them with whatever distress is going on. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I have a question for you. What would you say to a couple who maybe one of the the members of the couple have seem to have like more intense emotional needs and are often in fight or flight mode and the other one doesn't. And maybe because I've gotten this question before um, because Um, I talk a lot about my own, you know, parenting struggles and um, reparenting and all of that. And so I get asked this question a lot when the partner feels like, well, where, what about my emotional needs? I need my emotional needs to be met too, but it feels like right now I'm just focused on meeting your emotional needs because you have these, these challenges. What do you do in that situation? Hmm. This is such an interesting question. This was actually asked earlier in the presentation that I was oh, really? giving. Yeah. I, I mean, Hey, so first of all, we really have to come at this and normalize that you're two separate people, that you are going to have different emotional needs. You're going to have different ranges of expression and that neither one of you are right or wrong, right? So someone, and I'm using my hands and I'm pulling them apart further. And this is, you know, someone has a wide emotional expression. They have a wide need or they have a big bucket and someone else has a smaller bucket. And it's not that either one of them is right or wrong, but rather now, how can we enter into this space of giving what we can to another person? Because we do need to respond to our partner's needs in a way that feels good for us and when we can show up for that. And that sometimes we need to do a little bit of work around this and share with our partner and ask them to help meet some of those needs. And other times we need to do a bit of that self-work, which is, can I, can I give to my own bucket? Or if my partner can't give to my bucket, is there someone else that I can give that, that I can have that with? So a friend, a parent, mm-hmm. can I give that to myself by journaling? Right. But but trusting or, or even going to therapy and being able to trust in an objective other to help you work through that. Um, it's not to say that either one of you have to change. It's to say that you both view the world differently. You experience emotions differently. And then how can you negotiate coming together? So with this example that I was working through earlier, the example was, okay, so if you need to shut down, is it that you have to go and hide in your room or could you hold your partner's hand and go for a walk? And it's like, you're trying to meet in the middle somewhere. And that way, then your partner who needs that closeness and connection can feel you there, but you agree. You're not going to talk about the fight right now because you still need to do a little bit of your own internal work there. Yeah. I think that is a really good answer. And, you know, I think it is important to realize we relationship is about compromise. And so while we might not, we don't necessarily have to change how we experience the world or how we express emotions. Sometimes maybe we do have to shift that a little bit so that our partner can be more receptive to it or to help Mm -hmm. them understand or to help them process in a way. I know I've had to do a lot of that with my husband because we are polar opposites when it comes to emotional expression. Um, and it's probably the hardest thing, the hardest thing that we've had in our relationship for sure. Of course. And I would encourage those who are listening to think about what is it that attracted you to your partner? Because oftentimes what we are attracted to is something that later on ends up causing us distress. So I can think of some couples I've worked with, I think of one, um, they were really attracted to their 
partner's easygoing nature. And, <laughs> you know, this individual, well, I could, I could relate to this as well, but this individual was more of the like controlling and planning and having everything organized. And her partner yeah. came in and offered her this world of like, let's go with the flow. And you know what? We don't need a specific time. Let's whatever that is. Right. But mm-hmm. then in comes baby and gosh, you know, as a mom, don't you love control of being able to say like, how much sleep am I going to get? I need to know, right. Yeah. Or how long is this stage going to last for? Okay. We're in a hitting uh-huh. stage. How long is this going to last? Cause if I just know how long it's going to last, I can really bear it. Um, and, and so I think sometimes what happens in our relationships is that our partners initially present us with something that either we are missing within ourselves or we wish to let go of within ourselves, or we, we have an unmet need from childhood. But then how do we then maybe bring some appreciation to it or maybe even um, appreciation, some compassion and acceptance to it in the sense of like, okay, so this is my partner's strength and here's why I'm attracted to them. And I can use that in a certain way, but knowing that they're not going to be the one deep diving on the couch with you into that emotional experience. Yeah. I love that. And I totally relate. I totally relate to that. And I know my (laughs) husband would too. He'd be like, I, I was so attracted to your passion and your, like (laughs) your, you just, you're so passionate about everything. And now that's like what also drives him nuts at times. Um, okay. Can we talk a little bit more about communication? Because that's a huge one. You know, I get asked a lot, you know, I get approached by new moms, brand new moms who have a six week old or a 12 month or 12 week old or right. whatever, you know, it really doesn't matter at the age of the baby, but they're feeling that mental burden, that mental load that you've talked about, right. or they're feeling, you know, anxious or depressed. And they're just, they don't know they're feeling overwhelmed, but they just don't know how to communicate with their partner to both tell them how they're feeling, but also to ask them for support. Um, what recommendations do you have for couples that really need to be better at, um, opening up and asking for help, asking for some support and communicating their needs to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to first acknowledge, uh, just how hard it is to actually do this. So again, kind of what I had mentioned earlier before having your baby or your next baby asking yourself, what did I learn about watching my parents in their relationships that for many people, they didn't learn what it meant to label a feeling and to share it right again with respectful mm-hmm. parenting. This is something that we're helping in positive parenting. We're helping our children do this, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're angry. This is angry, right? We're, we're labeling emotion. We're helping them to cope with it. For many of us, we didn't see our caregivers do that. So this is really hard. And the first thing we need to start being able to do is to go inwards and to ask ourselves, how am I feeling in this moment? What do I need that would help me right now? Because oftentimes what we'll do is we'll kind of like, just kind of, um, what's the word? Like, just like blurt it out, right? Okay. Well, I need you to help. And you never help out. And when we go into that space, it's not really bringing our partners closer to us because your partner might be on on the other side saying, well, I never help out. I guess I do. Right. So we want to make sure that we go inwards first and explore for ourselves what's being triggered here. What is it that I'm feeling and what do I need that would help me? And sometimes when we are triggered by something, it might even be something like, okay, you know what? This is my stuff I'm going to work through. And I don't actually have to share anything right now. That could be mm-hmm. one road that you take, but the other road is, oh gosh, okay. I'm feeling so overwhelmed. I haven't been sleeping and this is so much for me right now. And so now I need to find a way to share this with my partner and what would be helpful. Sometimes people will put their needs out there and they put them out there in very unclear ways. So they'll say things like, I need help. 
And if I were a fly in the wall, I don't know what that looks like. Is it helping with the kids? Is it taking over something? It's not really clear. So I always like to encourage moms, get really clear on what that help would look like. So it would sound like I'm feeling really overwhelmed and I need you to do bedtime with the kids tonight or every Tuesday night so I can go out and take time just for me. I need to do this for myself. So I think that is really important that we start by saying, what am I feeling? And then what does that support actually look like? Yeah, I think that is so important. And that has been so helpful in my marriage because I am the kind of person and I'm not the kind of person I used to have this, this, um, not helpful communication pattern of kind of what you described. I need help. I need, you know, before actually communicating my feeling and what specifically that need would look like, I would almost frame it as an attack initially, like right away off the bat, it's an attack. So my husband felt defensive. He felt like, like, wow, I I didn't even know this was an issue. And now all of a sudden Mm. you're attacking my character. You're acting like I don't do anything. Um, and it, it automatically sets him up to be defensive. And so then we can't have a productive conversation where we're actually seeking to understand each other and communicate with each other. And we've both just found that communicating those feelings as calmly as we can, like we don't have to be calm, but as long as we're not directing that emotion, like projecting it onto the other person, um, we can really communicate a lot more clearly. So I love that. It's really different to be able to say the house is messy versus you never help out. Right. Yeah. I can complain about the house being messy. Like, oh my goodness, the house is messy and I'm feeling really uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. overwhelmed with all the things we have to do versus you never help. You're always on your phone. So those, so this is where Dr. John Gottman, he studied over 3000 couples. He has found four negative communication patterns that if they are persistent, that they do in, increase the risk for divorce. The rate of divorce is found connected to them. And so that is blaming criticism. So that is where you attack the other person. So you are saying things like you never, you always, you're attacking the character of the person. Mm-hmm. Defensiveness. Defensiveness is where you are protecting yourself against a perceived attack. And that's a really important one because sometimes our partners may not be attacking us, but we feel defensive. So if your partner mm-hmm. comes home and says, oh, the house is a mess. And you say, well, can't you see all the things I'm doing? Right. Well, it's, it's a complaint. The house is messy. It wasn't an attack on you personally. Sometimes our defensiveness button can be easily triggered. Um, so there's blame attack, defensiveness, um, uh, contempt. This is where we use hostile humor towards our partners. Oh, well, I can't ask you for help anyways. What's the point? You're no good for anything, right? Just really hostile. And that one particularly, um, it will lead to the breakdown of a relationship. And then there's shutting down and shutting down is where people withdraw. They don't say anything they walk away and they say, okay, whatever, what's the point. Um, and those are tricky communication patterns. And and it's interesting, Taylor. I wonder if you're seeing this in, in your four and a half year old, we don't blaming is not necessarily the space that happens in our, our family, which is why I was so surprised where my son and my daughter will say things like you tripped me. You're always doing that. I'm like, Whoa, where's this blame coming from? Mm -hmm. And I, and I believe it is from a very egocentric way of looking at the world, which is what our children are experiencing. So Mm -hmm. we've been teaching our kids "Hmm, in our family. We don't say always or never. We use the word sometimes, sometimes mommy's not able to put you to bed instead of you never put me to bed or 
Um, and when he says you tripped me, oh, I think what you're saying, buddy is I'm hurt when I tripped and that felt really hard. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really interesting to see how we're trying to model this for our kids yeah. and that it's something that is experienced. I don't know. It's crazy. That is interesting. And I think it's really tough when you know that you're, you have these, these communication patterns that you're still mm-hmm. working on changing. And then you're yeah. seeing your kids repeat the same things. And it's like, your kids are just a total mirror <laughs> of all of the things that you're trying to change about yourself. And, um, but I, that is really, really interesting. Um, I just lost my train of thought. I had a question for you. That's okay. We'll come back to that. Um, okay. So you talked about the, the negative or difficult communication patterns. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. When I first started working on this, um, we, we learned about, I think there's another term for them. Maybe somebody else came up with them, but there it's a list of like dirty, I think it's called dirty fighting techniques. Yes. Okay. And yeah. And when I, when I first started working on this and I do this with my children too, I try to, um, I always just kind of try to like remove myself from the situation a little bit Mm -hmm. if, if mentally and cognitively I can do that. And I try to focus on narration. So instead of like the blaming and the attacking, I try to just like literally be like as monotone as as I can and just communicate what I'm seeing is happening. And I find that that helps me. Like, it feels a little bit like, like, um, like an exercise of some sort when you first start doing it. But I felt like I needed that initially because I was starting Mm. from scratch and I just found that that really helped me a lot. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting technique. And I think that's important to use, right? So um, what, what would be an example of narrating for you in your relationship? Um, so like, let's use the, the mess example or cause I, that would actually be me. The house is a mess. Like I get overwhelmed with and overstimulated yeah. with clutter. And if I have something stressful going on, or I, I'm stressed at all. There's yelling all of a sudden the mess that didn't bother me two minutes ago is now like the worst thing in the world. And it needs to change. And I'll start blaming yeah. my husband for it. So that would be my, my past thing is you never helped me clean up. I'm the only one doing this. So instead I would try to just like take a deep breath and say, you know, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. There's a lot of clutter. I'm wondering if you can help me clean up a bit. Mm. Yes. And that goes over a lot better with him. I have found (laughs) than you never help me. And you, you're always leaving your stuff everywhere. So he appreciates it. And we have to recognize that how we show up in the relationship is 50% of the dynamic, right? That there are two Mm. people here and that I know sometimes what we get into is we think if my partner would just change, if they would just do this differently, if they would just help, if they, right. And oftentimes, especially for people who are listening today, I think what's important is for you to go inwards and to ask yourself, how am I showing up here? And I love the question of, as we had talked about already about speaking to our children, what about a friend? What would you say to a friend? How would you say mm-hmm. this to a friend? And I think that can be really powerful, but I think it's also important to remember that we are all human and that master couples do these cycles. They get stuck in communication cycles. Um, and what they have learned to do though, is that they learn to repair faster And so even when, you know, this happens in my relationship that sometimes I'll kind of like something comes out and it's kind of critical and angry. And then we'll, my partner will give me a look and I'll laugh at it. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm doing the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I can try again, or I can say, yes, I'm so sorry. That was, that was a little bit too critical. And then I find actually in, in relationships, what can be so powerful is learn to own your stuff faster 
and take ownership of it, take responsibility and say, you know, when I came to talk to you about this really hot topic, I was so charged up and there was a lot going on inside of me that you probably didn't see the inside stuff. You just saw me getting really mad and angry at you. And that wasn't kind. And I'd like to do it over again. Can we try that conversation again? Our relationships are not supposed to be a one and done thing. You don't just get married and then have kids and you're good. It is this ever evolving and changing dynamic between two people that it's, it's this, I had a supervisor explain this to me once it was beautiful in my early training days. It is you consciously making the choice to grow your tree branches together every single day. So if I see my partner in the morning and I decide to roll out of bed and not connect with them, I've missed growing together. If I kind of see them put their phone down and there's a look on his face. Okay. So, you know, can I ask him what's going on or do I go into my phone and ignore him? Right. So we're constantly making Mm -hmm. these attempts to connect and grow together that take a lot of effort. Yeah. I love that. I love that analogy. It's really a beautiful way to look at it. Um, Can you talk about what happens when your partner or spouse is not on the same page? So either they're not on the same page in general, in terms of like working on the relationship or communication, or another common question that I get. And that I think a lot of new parents have is they're not on the same page with like parenting choices. Yeah. Great question. Those are big questions. How much time do we have? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay. So if we're not on the same page in our relationship, if we're not on the same page, there are always three things that you can do. So the first is you can continue to read all of the things and do your work. You get to change. You always have a choice to do that. I have choices. Empower yourself to know that you can do something. And it's also the basis of why I created my online program, Be Connected, was because I kept bumping up against the barrier where women would say, I'd love to join your program or I'd love to work with you, but my partner doesn't want to come. We know from systems theory that when one person changes in the dynamic, the whole dynamic has a possibility of changing. If I approach my partner from a place of kindness rather than anger, it gives them a different opportunity to approach me. So Mm -hmm. I always like to say, you have a choice every single day of how you're responding to your partner. Um, So that's one piece. The other piece is, okay, so if we're not going to change, then I need to accept this part of them. If I'm staying in the relationship, then I'm going to accept this part of them. And every time it comes up, I'm going to accept that I have hard feelings about this. If they get defensive and I'm saying, I'm going to stay in the relationship and I'm accepting this part of my partner, they have their work to do. They haven't done it yet. Um, then I need to accept that I have hard feelings and this is just doesn't feel good for me. And acceptance means I'm not judging. I'm being curious. I'm making space and I'm letting go. Or the third option is you end the relationship. And it, it's, it's, it's a hard piece to sit in because ultimately you can't change somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that, that is around when your partner doesn't want to change and they're not on the same page as you in terms of the relationship, you go and do the work. You can always still go and do your work. And that might be you changing. It might be you learning to accept. Um, and also truly that, that is something that shows up in my office a lot is that a lot of clients, I will sit with them for several sessions, months for some time of you're not ready to leave. How can we deal with this? You're not ready to go yet. Okay. This is where you are right now. We're going to sit in this and work with this. When it comes to the parenting piece, 
I always think this one is really interesting because our goal is to try to find some kind of space of compromise and looking at what our key needs are. But so often what happens in these conversations is that we come to the table already with our opinion and we're asking our partner to come and change themselves to be in our opinion. And I see this happening with mothers, particularly because, you know, mothers, again, in heterosexual relationships, mothers tend to be the researchers. Mm -hmm. They tend to be the gatekeepers. They tend to be the one preparing, right? I I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. I think I was like five months and when my kids were five months old, I was like, okay, food, what do we do? We're going to start introducing solids in a month. So I'm a month ahead and my partner has no idea and isn't on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think coming to the table as a team is really important and being open and curious and asking our partners, what is it that they want to have with, in their relationship with their children? Um, what are the outcomes that they want? What do they fear happening? You know, oftentimes Mm -hmm. there's fear in there. Like, well, if I take this respectful parenting approach, are are my children going to get bullied or am I, am I raising soft children? And okay, well then let's talk about what some of the research is around that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then ultimately, um, I had this conversation with Dr. Shefali and Dr. Becky, um, and it was around, you have to choose whether you're going to be a good wife or a good mother. And so are you going to choose to help parent your child or are you going to keep your partner happy? Mm-hmm. And I know for many of us, we choose to be the good parent. And so we can't, we have to release the idea that we can control how our partners are going to parent. We can talk about it. Mm-hmm. We can explore their fears. We can give the information. We can try to find a common ground around this. But if your partners are not willing to change with you, then how can you then support your child? We know from the research that we need one supportive caregiver to create secure attachment. We just need one. So if you can be that one person and, you know, sitting with your child and saying, yeah, how did that feel when, when mommy or daddy raised their voice, what can you do in those moments to help protect you? Right? Mm -hmm. No, we don't yell. What are other things that we could do so that you could be that person to process those things with your child? Yeah, I think that's so important. I loved everything you said. Um, I always tell people, well, you know, I usually get asked, well, my husband's not on board with, with, um, co-sleeping or my husband wants to sleep train. And I say, well, why, why does he want to sleep train? Because like Mm -hmm. you said, it is decisions like this, especially in terms of sleep and like parenting and spanking our children and things like that, like you said, are often rooted in an underlying fear. And that fear is usually not, um, I don't want to say it's not valid, but it's usually not rooted in what will actually happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, based on what we know about development and the research and what that tells us. And so when you're, you know, I think parents, like you said, are often coming together and they're just talking at each other. They're sharing their own views, but they're not really listening to hear and understand Mm -hmm. the other person's perspective. So the first part of that I'd say is always ask him why or her, why, um, why does she feel like that? She wants to make that decision. Why does he, what fears does he have? What do you think will happen if he, if we don't sleep train our baby and then you can kind of know how to approach the rest of that conversation and provide information, um, as applicable to that. Um, I also loved how you pointed out that you can't control your partner and you, you can still be the parent you want to be. You can do the work you want to do and parent differently. Even if you can't get your parent, your other, um, the other parents on board, you can still be that person for your child for sure. 
And there's something to be said to you around letting our partners struggle a little bit. There's a research, a psychological term called um, psychological reactance, which is if you tell someone what to do, the, there is a high likelihood they will go and do the opposite. And they studied mm-hmm. a group of, I think the study was grade eighters. And they said, whatever you do, and this is of course back before phones, um, do not go and buy this book in the library. And of course, the majority of students went and got the book out in the library. So when you tell someone what to mm-hmm. do, naturally they could get their backup. And so if you were to step back a bit more and be more curious about you know, the choices our partners are making. So, oh, so I noticed you did this. What were your reasons for doing that? How did it work for you? Did it feel good for you? And starting to let them explore what that's like inside rather than us coming down on them, being these top-down partners saying, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And then when you see them failing a little and struggling, then you can say, oh, well, you know, Hey, I read this great piece and maybe you would like to read this too. And it might be helpful for you. I've printed out several things and put them on the fridge and Mm -hmm. I can hear the statements coming out from both my partner and I, right. So there are those kinds of things that we could do. Um, this is such a tricky one because I I hear from a lot of couples and I, I work through this with women as well of, okay, so, well, what do I do if like, you're in a hard spot? Do you want me to jump in? And really, this is again about asking each other, what would be helpful for you and what works for you? Mm-hmm. So if your child is having a tantrum, are you coming in and rescuing your child every time? Or are you letting your partner figure that out for them? And then maybe debriefing after and saying, how was that for you? I stepped back because I didn't know if you needed your help. If you need my help, could you do something to let me know? Could you call me in? Right. Like sometimes my partner and I, we tap each other out. We'll, we'll say like, Oh, Hey, it looks like you need some help. Can I step in? Yep. Okay, good. I'm, I'll take over. Cause our resources are always going to be different, but yeah. again, it, we're coming back to that, having respect for our partners, listening to our partners, being curious and trying to understand them. Yeah. And again, it all, it parallels parenting so much too. Like our, our children also don't respond well when we're constantly over them, telling them exactly what to do, controlling their every move. And, you know, I will admit that I, as a new parent, when my daughter became a toddler, I was the one, like I was so into the respectful parenting and reading the books. And I was like trying to dictate every word that my husband would say to her. And that just didn't work. He got so mad. He was like, you need to let me do this. And then I realized, yeah, I actually do need to let you just do this. And if I have something that I want to say, I'll say it afterwards. Um, but I, for the most part, I've tried to step back a little bit and realize, okay, you know what? They have a really good relationship, even though he doesn't always do everything perfectly. I don't do everything perfectly. They have a really strong relationship. So he's obviously doing something right. Um, and I, I think that is, is so important. Like nobody likes to be controlled their every move to be controlled. It's not helpful. And it, and it doesn't give the other parent confidence and the ability to, to work through that, that issue on their own, like you said. Yeah. The other piece here that we're talking about is what are we modeling for our children? Mm -hmm. So if you are jumping in all the time, what does that teach your child about your relationship as, as a romantic partnership about love? And then what does it teach your child that they can also do in between the relationship, right? So as parents, we want to be a united front with our children. Mm -hmm. We want to know we're good. We're solid. We've got this for you. Um, and then really keeping those conflicts, um, those, let me rephrase it. So 
those heated conflicts where you are having a yelling match. You do not ever, you do not want to have that in front of your children. I, I let people know that you do not want to be screaming in front of your kids. You do not want to be name calling each other. You do not want to have those conversations in front of your children. And so if you are interrupting, if you are having those things in front of them, you have to ask yourself, what are, what are we teaching the kids? Mm -hmm. And then being able to step back and say, well, how, what can we teach our kids about relationships? So I will easily apologize to my partner in front of my children. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so powerful for them to see that I make mistakes and Mm -hmm. that I'm not perfect and that I can take responsibility for what I do and how I show up. And then I can respect my partner and show that to him. Um, I just think that's so powerful. Yeah, it really is. And, um, as you were talking, I was thinking modeling, modeling in general, like you've talked about is so helpful modeling for our kids, but also what I found to be so helpful for my partner, for my husband is modeling how I would like for him to parent, not Mm -hmm. with the expectation that he's going to do exactly that. But I think it can be really powerful for a partner who maybe isn't on board with respectful parenting to watch you treat your child respectfully and, and collaborate with them and work through issues with them and and see, wow, that was really effective. And there was a lot less crying and tears than maybe we had before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we left feeling pretty, they left feeling pretty good about their relationship. And so I right. think that is another really powerful tool. Um, I, that's kind of my goal in using that with not my husband only, but with my mm-hmm. family members who don't understand. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I try to just parent my child the way I would hope that they would take care of my child and hope that they learn something from that. Of course. I'm thinking about the co-sleeping piece because I know this is a common issue that shows up in my office where mom has chosen to co-sleep because that feels, that feels more aligned for them. And, um, the other partner is struggling. They say, I miss my partner. I don't get that time with them. And so again, when we go back to communicating and compromising around this, what I would be curious is, can you find out what is missing for your partner? What is it that they're missing? Okay. Mm -hmm. They're missing intimacy. Great. Let's look at intimacy. What does intimacy mean for your partner? Can we expand the definition of intimacy? So is it just about sex or are we talking about other ways of connection? Can you find, so if you need to sleep with your baby at a certain time, can you find other pockets during the day to connect? Whether Mm -hmm. it's a text, whether it's, you know, a longer hug or whatever that is. And I think that's really important. And then the other piece around that is, is to be really reassuring and forthcoming to our partners of, you know, this is a hard season. I miss being with you too, because the reality is our children take up our intimacy, right? right? We give that intimacy with our children. So then we no longer need it from our partners. We've Mm got to make sure we save it with them too. But if we're in this season where we can't, there it's so powerful to have that conversation and just be able to say, you know, I miss us too. This is this hard season. This season will change. So now how can we then continue to find these ways of connection within what we're working with so that both partners can feel that their needs are being met in some way? Yeah, that's so important. I love the way that you phrased that. Well, Dr. Tracy, I know that our time is running out and you, you ended on intimacy. So I want to reassure you guys listening. Cause I get questions about this all the time. <laughs> I do have another guest in the lineup to come talk more about intimacy, especially intimacy while co-sleeping. So we kind of left you hanging there with just a little piece of, <laughs> of in, the intimacy piece. And I know that's a huge one. So we will talk about it more. Um, but Dr. Tracy, can you just tell us where we can find you, what resources you have? Um, yeah. and yeah, where we can learn more from you. 
Absolutely. If you are listening today, please come over to Instagram, find me at Dr. Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y-D. Um, say hello to let me know that you're coming from the podcast. Say hello. I'm in my DMS. Um, I love being social in that space and you can find more resources on my website, drtracyd.com. I have a blog there where I answer a lot of common questions that show up. Um, I also have a podcast as well. The links are all there and you'll also find my online program. If you're looking to improve your communication and connection, um, we are just having so much fun in this group. I have live Q and a calls where the women ask their tough questions and we work through them. And it's amazing to see what a community we're building there. So you can find me drtracyd.com. That's awesome. And I think that you gave us a discount code for the be connected membership. Um, so that's right. Yeah. So with the, it's the code is year Y E A R year. Um, and you said you can save over 50% on the be connected membership. So, and I will link all of that in the show notes so that you can um, click on it easily. So thank you again, Dr. Tracy, so much for being with us. We, I have learned so much from you and I know everybody listening will too. Thank you so much, Taylor, for having me here. And thank you to everyone listening in today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.